أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد الحمد لله gathered us here uh, on this uh, uh, afternoon and we were not to be guided was it not that he guided us this is the fulfillment of uh, my duas for such a long time that this dars has been interrupted uh, this dars of riyadh salihin it's an important dars and it intersects so many things um, one is the remembrance of allah ta'ala and the remembrance of a part of the deen which is completely forgotten by people which is the spiritual life of Islam, which is the life of the heart, which is the life of a person's uh, what makes them a human. Because what makes you a human being is not your body, it's not how good you look or how strong you are, how fast you are. There's something between every human being, whether a person is young, healthy, beautiful, rich, intelligent, uh, powerful. Uh, and even if a person were Allah protect us a person to have all their limbs cut off and uh, be completely completely unable to help themselves completely helpless but there is something that makes them a human being as well uh, there is the uh, the story uh, that many of us read in school of Helen Keller literally a person who even her senses were were cut off and she gained them later on in life um, that it showed that, that there's an idrak that that, that the ruh makes, there's a, a, a grasping that the spirit makes that goes even beyond, even beyond the senses. Uh, and uh, that is something that the philosophers since ancient times have said, and that's something that modernity completely makes inkar of. It completely uh, negates and uh, pretends like it doesn't exist. And because we also are people who live in a society in which modernity and modernism as a philosophy has the upper hand, uh, we also have, some of us unintentionally and some of us intentionally have remodeled Islam in order to fit that, uh, that worldview, and it's not right. And so this space, mashallah, is a place where we can come and mention these things and talk about these things uh, without having... Uh, undue editorial oversight from people who don't really have any business with oversight in any of these things. Uh, it's a, often a complaint and it's not a completely illegitimate complaint that people have that the ulama are sold out or that the ulama don't speak the truth or that the ulama have ceased uh, serving the prophetic function uh, for which they were given mandate. Uh, and as a matter of aqidah, I completely disagree with this, uh, uh, with this sentiment uh, if a person holds it in an absolute sense, I think it's a, a problem that could also be tantamount to kufr. However, uh, we would also be remiss not to accept the fact that to some degree or another, there has been a, a great amount of undermining of what their sacred function is. And so people ask me why can't you teach this dars in the masjid and I, if I told people why I can't teach it in the masjid or why I can't teach it in other masajid or I can't teach it in other institutions it would really cause a great deal of consternation either people would have a bad opinion of the other Muslims or they would have a bad opinion of me because they wouldn't believe the things I told them 
So why why go negative? Alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala gave us this place. The rent is extremely cheap. And uh, uh, if the dome doesn't look as nice as you wish it, it did, good for good for you. The Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his masjid didn't even have a roof. And we all know that that was the most Mubarak of places. This dars itself, there were a group of people who asked me to uh, start this dars several years ago in 2009 in Seattle. And... Uh, very few of them stuck out more than the first, I would say, five or six lessons, and then they dropped out. But alhamdulillah, what was their loss was the gift for me that I got a chance to read through this book. It went through many permutations. It went through many different lands uh, in order to reach here, where, mashallah, you can see we're at the third out of four volumes of Ibn Allah's commentary, and we're almost at the end of it. And so, inshallah, my hope is this place will be the one that Allah Ta'ala will give tawfiq, that we can finish the book. Uh, obviously these books, you know, ill never finishes, you always repeat, but it's good to have, it's good to have, uh, you know, passed some certain amount of effort in order to, uh, in order to attain something good. And Riyadh Salihin, like I mentioned, uh, wherever I had the op opportunity to mention it, it's completely, um, it's a completely hidden book, it's hidden in plain sight. It's probably the book in, in Masajid that's found, um, most frequently after the Mus'haf itself, after the Qur'an itself. Uh, however, nobody has read it, nobody understands what's in it, nobody knows what the purpose of the book is. The book is a book of tasawwuf. Uh, uh, I translated the foreword to it, and it's unpublished, maybe I'll share with some people, but Imam Nawi actually wrote a foreword to the book, explaining exactly what the point is. And the point is, is that it's the spiritual teachings of Islam. By the way, you'll pick up a lot of aqaid, by the way, you'll pick up a lot of fiqh, by the way, you'll pick up a lot of other things. Um, but, uh, but the point of the book, the ordering of the book, is there to facilitate a certain type of spiritual awareness in the, in the, uh, uh, the student who reads it. And it is brilliant in that the nisbah of the Prophet ﷺ that a person has is one of the most powerful and expedient vehicles in a person's spiritual journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we live in a time where literally I given khutbah in places and a brother will come after the khutbah and he'll say, well, you know, last week, you know, you said it's all of this stuff about making the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala. Last week the khutbah was, you know, about why saying Allah, Allah and sitting in a room and saying la ilaha illallah is, uh, is a bid'ah, is a reprehensible innovation. I said, I don't know what I can do to help a person who that's their nasib from life that they go around saying things like that. I have no idea how to help such a person. I, all we can do is make uh, dua for Allah Ta'ala's fadl and we can keep the uh, remembrance uh, and the reminder alive that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he, uh, uh, you know, he's the one who uh, Allah Ta'ala wrote about him in his book, in Qul in Kuntum Tuhibboon Allah Fattabi'uni Yuhbibkum Allahu Wa Yaghfir Lakum Zunubukum Allahu Ghafoorur Rahim Say Ya Muhammad to the people Alayka Salatu Wasalam If you love Allah Ta'ala then follow me so that Allah may love you and Allah is all uh, forgiving and all merciful is most forgiving and most merciful He's the one that the person who says Salat and Salam on uh, uh, on him one time, Allah Ta'ala will send Salat and Salam on that person ten times. This is one separate benefit. And there's another benefit that's separate than this one, which is even greater than it. Which is what? Whoever sends Salat and Salam to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that whoever, every person who sends Salam to me, Allah 
Allah returns my ruh to my to me and I return the salam personally and the salam for the Prophet ﷺ, he doesn't need it because he already has it but the salam we get on the dua of the Rasul ﷺ is of great use it's of great benefit to us and I don't know how to say it better than that except for if you were to put a dollar amount on what does it mean that Allah Ta'ala sends you 10, 10, 10 blessings for every blessing that you invoke on the Prophet Sallallahu What's a dollar amount on the blessing? You know, is, will you find a lot of those blessings at the dollar store? Let's be real here. Let's cut to the chase. You know, because everybody has to pay rent and uh, it's all about money and it's all economics and whatever. And Karl Marx, uh, you know, between Karl Marx and Adam Smith, mashallah, 98% of the ummah is living in that space, right? So let's, let's cut to the chase. How much is it worth to you? It's worth a dollar? Okay. If I give you $10 for every salam that, that you say to the Prophet wasallam, and then afterward, just Qazi Fadlullah, just I was in the Khatam right now at Dar Salam. He's literally, this is exactly what he was saying, right? How excited would you be? How excited would you be? I'll put a istidraq, I'll put an addendum on top of what he said, which is just like every, every nation, sovereign nation has its own currency. If you're in Mali during the reign of Mansa Musa, your gold is not going to be worth that much. Why? Because it's gold like left and right. However, if you go to another place, maybe gold is worth a lot. If you talked to me five years ago or three years ago or two years ago or a year ago about Bitcoin. And I told my opinion about Bitcoin in public and I almost got stoned to death. And everyone says, shit, you don't know how the blockchain works. I'm like, I guess I don't. I guess I, mashallah, like you guys all know and I don't know, right? And now, is it worth the same? It's not worth the same. Every currency has a time and place it's useful. If you try to spend rubles right now over here, nobody's maybe they won't even exchange them for you, whereas you could have at least got them exchanged a year ago, right? What is the currency over here? Pounds, euros, they're meaningless. You have to use the US dollar, otherwise the, whatever, you know, uh, 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 Sanjeet at the 7-Eleven, he's not gonna sell you, even if you hand him a 100 pound note, he's not, what, he's, what is he gonna do? How is he gonna sell you a, 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 whatever, a bottle of water or something like that, right? Every place has its currency. We're talking about the Allah, you know, the, the Sallallahu Alaihi Asharan. That's 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 what that's the currency, not of the United States of America, because nobody cares about your piety over here. Nobody even cares about your piety in the masjid. Why are they going to care outside of it? Where is that currency valid? That's the only currency that's accepted from in the Akhirah. When you enter into the grave, it's the only currency that's accepted. So it's good. We're going to make the journey. May as well do the exchange. Wonderful thing about this book. You increase in your ilm, you increase in your aqaid, you increase in your tasawuf, and it's also a majlis of dhikr at the same time. Granted that you restrain your own, and I restrain my own laziness and say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, on the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's name, whenever you have the opportunity. Don't say it so frequently that you can't understand or listen to what the dar says, but you have so many opportunities when the name of the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is said, you say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. When the pronoun refers back to him, you say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. When the mention of any of the Anbiya of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala are mentioned, you say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam alayhim wa salatu wa salam. This is, uh, this is also, this is your bonus to your dhikr majlis. This is one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons one, that some of the greatest Sufiyai Kiram in the history of Islam are who? They're the Muhaddithun. Some people actually find it ironic. I remember I was in the Khanqah of my Shaykh 
And someone someone asked me, he says he says it says in Urdu, he says he says, Sheikh, yeah, Hanbali Sufi Kyunehotekabi. So why aren't these Hanbalis ever Sufis? And uh, why? Because he's used to, mashallah, our friends who uh, carry the da'wah of, you know, of certain, certain nation states of the Arabian Peninsula. And they also are Hanabila. We won't begrudge them, you know. They also study the Hanbali fiqh. They have institutions. They have courts that run according to it. It may be their local variant, but we won't begrudge them that fiqh is fiqh, right? Um, but when it comes to Tasawwuf, they'll completely hack it down to pieces as if somebody is just like, I don't know, came and like worshipped an idol or something like that because they said La ilaha illallah a hundred times on Thursday night or whatever, right? So how come these, how come there's no big, great Hanbali Sufis? I said, I said, have you ever heard of Shah Abdul Qadir Jailani? He says, he says, of course he was a Hanafi though. I said, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you three more guesses, son. <laughs> Why? Imam Ahmed himself, his name is, the, the tabaqat of the Sufiya is, is never neglected. Of course, mashallah, there were people who made dhikr and there were people who kept all of these uh, traditions of tasawwuf, of the real tasawwuf, not the cultural and customary tasawwuf that, that, that's, you know, kind of like, you can see at like whatever music shows or whatever, right? But even even the most stern of muhaddithin, just the act of saying sallallahu alaihi wasallam every time you read a hadith, this is also itself it's a it's like a kind of like a dhikr majlis by adverse propriety. One of the reasons I'm spending all of this time going through all of these things, good, you guys already know these things anyway. That the reminder benefits the believers, and uh, a person doesn't ever enjoy the product that they're consuming until they actually know what the value of it is. Uh, otherwise, like Imam uh, Shafi'i, you know, he, you know, he goes that in its own homeland, the oud is itself just like considered another piece of wood, right? Uh, so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala give us tawfiq. So where we left off was the uh, Babu Fadli Qiyam al Layl. Uh, the last place that this book was read uh, was in the ICC in Cleveland, and so we left in the middle of the in the middle of the Bab, and I introduced the Bab by saying that this is a very long. It's a long chapter in the Riyadh al-Salihin, but sadly it's a, not a long chapter in our own lives. I'm the first person who uh, enters a plea bargain with the Lord in this regard. Uh, except for all I can say is that sometimes the person who Allah Ta'ala loves when they have difficulty, then they are forced to go to this thing and they realize, wow, this kind of works. Uh, and uh, Allah Ta'ala... Uh, Allah Ta'ala give us uh, tawfiq, inshallah, to do things the easy way instead of the hard way. وعن سيدنا جابر بن عبد الله رضي الله تعالى عنه وعنهما قال سئل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أي الصلاة أفضل قال طول القنوت رواه مسلم والمراد بالقنوت القيام So Jabir رضي الله تعالى عنه he narrates that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم was asked which of the prayers is more virtuous or most virtuous and he said, he said, he said, what? Qunut, lengthy qunut. And it's narrated by Muslim. So Imam Nawawi puts a note in here that the word qunut here means qiyam, it means standing. The word qunut is a very interesting word. Allah Ta'ala says in his book, he says, he says, وَقُومُ لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ That stand in front of Allah Ta'ala in the state of qunut. Uh, 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 even the Salat al-Wusta, the, the 
Mashaikh have somewhat of a world war between them about which one of the Salawat is the Salatul Wusta. And uh, uh, the Muhaddithun uh, and the Ahlul Athar, their, their uh, general preference is the Salatul Asr. Malik rahimahullah ta'ala, who was the Amir al-Mu'mineen for the Hadith in his age, despite being from the Ahlul Nadar, amongst the Fuqaha, his opinion was that it's a Salatul Fajr. And, uh, you know, obviously, God knows, you know, if Allah Ta'ala intended the Ummah to know it, it would have been included in the book of Aqidah rather than something discussed in Shuruhat, right? So it's fine. There's no need to be dogmatic about it. But all I can say is in the age we live in, Salat al-Fajr is the one that's getting massacred by people, especially in the summer months. So Allah Ta'ala bless the person who wakes up for it. It's a great mujahada, inshallah. There are great things that the Ummah is expected of, but if you're not going to wake up for Fajr, then like, you know, uh, you know, what are you going to do? But وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ What does this qunut mean? Right? This qunut means a number of different things. It means obedience. It means humility and, and stillness. It means silence. These are all different things. Stillness is like don't move around. Humility is a... In obedience, there are, there are states inside the heart. And it means silence as well. It means what? Silence. So this is this is a, a big asal in terms of why the mashaykh had their certain different preferences for certain different things in terms of even the fiqh of the salat. So you'll see, for example, Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala, his, uh, in his madhab, and I heard this from the mashaykh themselves, uh, I'm not just, it's not like my own like Maliki propaganda or whatever, but uh, they said that, that in an usuli sense, there's no preference in the Shafi'i school for praying sadr or qabd for putting your hands at your side or putting tying your hands there is only an istihsan which is a, a a preference for for a secondary reason which is what that in general if there's a choice between two different things that you should choose the thing that's quieter and that's more still and there's less imkan he figured that there's less chance that a person will move around if their one hand clasps the other otherwise Aslan, if theoretically, if a person is just as still both ways, there's no preference for one or the other. Or, for example, right, the, the, the madahib who say amin quietly rather than saying it out loud. This is also, it's maybe a second tier dalil, it's a second tier proof for that. But what you can say, this is closer to qunut than, than the other uh, option is. And so, okay, people apply it differently, but everybody agrees with this concept that you shouldn't be fidgeting around, you shouldn't be moving around, you shouldn't be gesticulating, you shouldn't be. Uh, you shouldn't be doing anything. Rather, it's also a, a manifestation, both physically and so inside the heart, of your slavehood that you stand like at a, at attention, like a soldier doesn't move around, right? Or a servant or a slave doesn't move around or fidget or express themselves or whatever. The salat is your time not to express yourself. So express yourself. That's good. Express yourself. Uh, you know, when you're making a painting or whatever, right? Um, even then within reason but uh, uh, but to express yourself in the salat is missing the point of the salat why because it's stay, stand in, in salat in front of Allah Ta'ala in the state of qunut and so here the Rasul Sallallahu says that the most uh, virtuous of qunut is qunut, to stand for the longest amount of time to stand for a long amount of time and this is the uh, uh, this is exemplified in the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's tahajjud prayer and his night prayer. 
that he didn't used to do this for the fire the prayer generally. In fact, he discouraged people from the imams from making the prayer excessively long because the people are masajin, they're masjunin. It's a, it's a, it's like they're imprisoned in the prayer that they can't move, they can't go anywhere. And so sometimes every now and again, people who don't read fiqh uh, and that are very excited about piety, maybe they came to like Riyadh al-Sahin Dars and they're like really excited. So it will be like time for the Salat and they'll just alif la mim and they'll just, you know, they'll, 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 they'll start uh, uh, cranking the gatling. And uh, the appropriate time for that is what? The appropriate time for that is your own nawafil and in particular the... Uh, the night prayer that said Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu anhu narrates that the Prophet his prayer was so long that you know he wondered is he even still alive or, or not and in that sense it could refer theoretically with all deference to Imam Nawawi to more than just the Qiyam it includes the Ruku it includes the the Sujood it includes uh, the, the the sitting between the Sujood and after the Sujood etc but it's a, a state that a person puts themselves in both in their heart and their mind and in their body uh, in uh, stillness in front of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is really important. MashaAllah, Qadi Fadullah is here. I spent a good deal amount of time with him. They call him Qadi, not like MashaAllah. We have some people that have the last name Qadi, Qazi uh, amongst us because one of their forefathers was the Shari judge. I was explaining to my children that like, you know, to be the judge, like you, every one of us knows like a, uh, at least a handful of lawyers, right? Very few of us know a judge, and if you know a judge personally, you probably don't know so many of them, unless you're actually in that field or in that profession. And the same thing is that the qada is a mansab of, uh, of ijtihad. And so only the top tier fuqaha are, you know, you're either a bogus qadi, if you're a real qadi, it's like a very elite position for someone to be in. And so he happens to be from uh, some of those areas uh, in his homeland where uh, the, the, the judge still sits and that the ijazah of qada is still there and their uh, rulings are still uh, enacted. And he really is a, a man worthy of uh, such a mansab. Uh, and so I, I, I sat with him uh, uh, most of the day yesterday. So if you hear me peppering some of the things that he, the anecdotes that he put in, um, you know, that's why. So one of the things he mentioned is that I asked him, I said, what do you think is like your advice to us? Uh, you know, doing work over here in America and whatever. Like, what should we do, be doing? What should we not be doing? He says, what kind of advice am I going to give you? He says, Ashawalillah himself, Rahimullah Ta'ala. He says that the first thing a person has to do is work on being a human being. You have to be a good human being. Once you fulfill that, it like unlocks something inside of you. It goes the second tier that on top of that. Although when you say first, second, third, we're not talking about one after the other. They're all simultaneous, but rationally one is built on top of the other. You work on on them the same the same time, um, but uh, just like the you know the bike has pedal and brakes at the same time, but you you know they're not they're not they may not be used exactly at the same time. But if you're not running the pedal, you're never going to have a chance to use the brakes or whatever, right? Uh, so is the second thing that's built on top of that is that you have to be a good Muslim. The third thing that's built on top of that is what you have to then seek the knowledge of Wahi of the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He said when these three things are in balance. Then what happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens the door of ilham that he'll show you what it is you need to be doing. Every person is different, their capacities are different, their talents are different, their time is different, their age is different, their circle of people is different, their temperament is different, their physical strength, mental strength is different. So Allah, Allah ta'ala will show you then you know, what to do. You, you need to work on these three things before you can uh, 
um, you know, be be capable of receiving this. And he gave Dalila as well, which is Walladina Jahadun Fina Subulana, right? That those who uh, strive in our way and in order to get to us, we will we will guide them. There are different paths that that will allow them to uh, arrive. The point of waking up in tahajjud in the middle of the night is not to be some like papu lemming that look, oh, look, somebody else was pious, so you should be pious too. And like, because they're idiots and they wasted their time doing this thing and we're going to shabash them, um, you also should do the same thing so that you can also, you know, receive people's accolades or whatever. At the end of the day, people used to do these things because they actually benefit you in your life. They actually work. Sayyidina Umar who wasn't a man who used to like wasting time. And he didn't like people who wasted time. So when he's saying that, you know, to his commanders to look through the ranks of the people before the eve of battle and see uh, who's reading Quran and who's making the hajjud and the people who are not doing those things, throw them out because they're going to be the reason you lose. At some point or another, there's more than just a mystical good luck charm issue with that. There's some capability inside of a person's own self, some sir and some secret inside of their own self that they unlock through these things. And so this uh, salat, this tahajjud is part of your being a good human being and it's part of your being a good Muslim and it's also part of your being a scholar, especially those people who are hafad of the Qur'an. Uh, your tadabbur is going to be in the salat. Otherwise, the memorization that people have uh, for taraweeh, which is usually the, the bulk of most hafaz's, uh, their retention of, of the Qur'an, um, that's a time that you're so freaked out about worrying about other people that like, that it's difficult, it's difficult to, to ponder. And in fact, ironically, being a person who's been like an imam in masajid, you know, as a profession from time to time, if I allow myself to start thinking about what I'm reciting too much, it's just going to end up ruining everybody's prayer. I'll forget which raka'ah I'm, I'm in. I'll get stuck in a place. It, literally, it happens. This is not out of piety. This is just because, you know, uh, not everybody is like an expert juggler. In fact, most people aren't. And so uh, uh, this, is, this is an opportunity for all of these things. This is a purpose for it. It's not something that's just a complete waste of time. When Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-Asir radiallahu ta'ala anhuma and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala lahu Ahabu salati ila Allahi salatu Dawuda wa ahabu siyami ila Allahi siyamu Dawuda Kana yanamu nisfa al-layli wa yaqumu fulufahu wa yanamu sudusahu wa yasumu yawman wa yuftiru yawman muttafaqun alayhi so both uh, uh, Bukhari and Muslim, rahimahumullah tabarak wa ta'ala, narrate uh, that from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn, Amr ibn al-Asir radiallahu ta'ala anhuma uh, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that the most beloved uh, prayers to Allah ta'ala is the prayer of Dawood alayhi uh, salam and the most beloved of fasting to Allah ta'ala is the fasting of Dawood alayhi salam that he used to sleep for half the night and then he used to uh, wake up for a third of the night, and then he used to uh, rest again for a sixth of the night. So he didn't. So so what what was his tartib that he would sleep half of the night? So in order, what's one what's one half plus one? Uh, where's Abdullah? Abdullah, what's one half plus one sixth plus one third plus one sixth? One half, one third, one sixth. What does it? What's the total here? You're, don't you do fractions in elementary school? Math is your friend, even in Islam, right? Math is your friend, everybody. Math is your friend. Yeah, no, mashallah. Don't, 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 no cheating. Otherwise, I'm going to put you on the spot next time. 
I'll, I know you know. I know you know this one. I'll pick. I'll find the question you don't know. <laughs> it's one, like, like uh, Imran Bhai said very correctly. It's one. So if you're sleeping for a half, and you're praying for a third, and then you're resting for the, the another sixth, how much time does that leave for like playing video games or doing other stuff? A grand total of zero, right? So this is one of the, the most effective habits of a person that they can have is sleep at night. When you ask somebody, like just random person, random person in the community, you know, I don't want to say cultural Muslim in the sense of like, like disparaging whether they believe or questioning whether they have Iman or not. Inshallah, everybody believes, right? But in the sense that they kind of go, go with the flow, they're not like people formally studied. Generally, the sensibility is that uh, piety has to do with, you know, just like super like self-destructive, like bear the cross level of devotion. And the reality is what? It's just like simple choices like this. Like if you go to, the nights are short in the summer, right? It's a drag on all of us. Um, if you go to sleep at... Okay, imagine you pray 10.30 at the masjid and you get home by 11, you go to sleep at 11 and you wake up at 4.15 in order to make it to the masjid for 4.30, right? Uh, that's still a decent amount of sleep. Like if a person only slept that much, it may not be a good regimen for the entire week, you know, but you still can get through the day and you still have enough opportunity to go to sleep for an hour or two before you go to work. Or to take a qaylula when you get home. The problem is what? Forcing yourself to go to sleep at that time. That's what the piety and righteousness is in though, in real life. It's not like the bearing the cross or whatever, it's in doing that. But interestingly enough, that's actually a much more self-destructive and horribly like difficult thing to do on the nafs. But it does make you a better person and it does make you a more efficient person. Uh, That's why, you know, like all of this, it doesn't start with like waking up. All of it starts with what? Just going to sleep when, when you're done with Isha, praying Isha at its time and going to sleep when you start. At any rate, the, the, the description of the Salat of Sayyidina Dawud is that he slept half the night, which is the most restful part of the night to sleep in. And then he uh, uh, woke up for a third and prayed and then he... Uh, slept or at least rested for the last sixth and uh, that the most beloved of fasts is the fast of Dawud which is to fast a day and to uh, not fast for another day so the commonality or the, the kind of the Qadr Mushtarak common denominator between both of the things that say that Dawud both of his spiritual practices was that you pace yourself so that it become something that is there's more focus and there's more intentionality in it rather than it just becoming like kind of a road habit now Malik rahimahullah ta'ala uh, I mentioned this is a fiqhi point you don't have to agree with it if you don't want to and you don't have to follow his madhab if you don't want to but you know he, he his madhab is that it's better to actually it's more there's more virtue in in uh, uh, fasting every day and there's more virtue in praying the entire night but why is that? Is it because he wants to make mukhalaf of the Prophet Of course not. 
the Rasul Sallallahu what he's saying is this is look if you fast if you if you want to get the maximum that maximum efficiency right this is how you're going to get it this is where you're going to get it at a sweet spot there's diminishing returns after there's still returns but they're they're not as much you don't get as much bang for your buck for the amount of time you spend doing things and the ideal model for a Muslim is that they are a balanced person now if you're in good health and you're 19 years old and you can't get a job you have no one to support right okay go ahead fast every day and pray the entire night then if you have to go to work and you have to make ends meet and if you don't you know your entire family and your parents are going to be out on the street then by all means pray a third of the night sleep until fajr you know but this is what this is the prophetic prescription is what for a person who's balanced all of these different things at the same time that this is the sweet spot because just like this is a balance of uses of your time in the night or uses use of days in terms of fasting there's also a balance in terms of piety that the Rasul Sallallahu has so many different uh, hadith where he mentions things like there are certain sins that won't be forgiven except for through nafil prayers. There are certain sins that won't be forgiven except for through nafil fasts. There are certain sins that won't be forgiven except for through uh, the difficulty you go through in order to provide for your family. The Rasul Sallallahu said that certain sins are forgiven from prayer to prayer. Certain sins are forgiven from Jumu'ah to Jumu'ah. Certain sins are forgiven from Ramadan to Ramadan. Certain sins are forgiven through Hajj. The person who will be able to fulfill all these things is a well-rounded person. If for one reason Allah Ta'ala shuts one door for you, then you also have other doors open that you can still uh, move forward uh, with. But the best person is the one who's the most uh, uh, balanced according to what they're. Uh, according to what their abilities and their uh, their their struggle is, and so that's what that's what this means. Otherwise, if a person is not like if you fast, you know, if you fast for like a day more than like every other day, that somehow you're like losing, you're getting a sin or you're losing uh, thawab at that point. You're building on top of it, but there's some diminishing returns that are there, and so all of it has to do with balance rather than what you do like really excited one night. When well, Sayyidina Jabir radiAllahu Taala Anhu. قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إن في الليل لساعة لا يوافقها رجل مسلم يسأل الله تعالى خيرا من أمر الدنيا والآخرة إلا أعطاه إياه وذلك كل ليلة رواه مسلم. سيدنا جابر رضي الله تعالى عنه he mentions that I, I heard from the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم which is بسمعت it's a مزيد في الضبط because there is something that uh, 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 that's known in the usul as mursal khafi uh, that there's a hadith that's narrated uh, from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam but there's uh, there's a gap in the sanad but it's a, a a subtle gap so if you have a companion who narrates a hadith from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam there is a possibility, depending on the words that he uses, there is a possibility that he didn't himself hear it from Rasulullah wasallam, but he heard it from another companion. And this muhaddithin, they tolerate this. Why? Because the companions, all of them are upright narrators. You know, some say, well, what if it's a munafiq? Well, they're not going to narrate from munafiq, right? When it comes to the Rasul Muslim Taala himself in his muqaddamah, he considered this to be mutawatir, like common knowledge. That the the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, whoever lies lies against me uh, on purpose, man mutaamidan Let them prepare to take a, a seat in the fire. 
and it's narrated from a number of the companions عنهم, that they considered lying against the Prophet وسلم, to have been to be fulfilled by a person who says something that the Rasul وسلم, that he said it and they're not a hundred percent sure that he said it but they don't disclose that fact that itself is sufficient to be considered a lie against Rasulullah so here there's you know when you see that you can you can at least appreciate there's some some increase in the uh, um, in in the integrity of of the claim that he said that I heard from the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam myself right like say the Umar radiallahu anhu that he had, he had there's a there was a man from the Ansar the two of them would alternate days st- sitting with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to hear the things that he said and one would earn a livelihood and the other one would sit sit with him and uh, then they would switch and then they would like debrief one another you know in the off in the off hour um, that it's not one of those things. This is actually something that he heard directly that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said in every night there's indeed uh, such an hour. Um, and here hour doesn't mean 60 minutes because they didn't have clocks and things like that. It just means like a measure of time. Uh, uh, there's a measure of time uh, in the night that a, uh, a, a man from amongst the Muslims and here obviously man is not, it doesn't mean nobody ever interpreted it. Uh, it's not my like whatever feminist reinterpretation of the hadith. And it means it means there's no person whoever uh, um, uh, that from, from amongst the Muslims who reaches that hour who, or who attains that hour uh, and they ask Allah Most High uh, for something good uh, from the affairs of their dunya or their hereafter, their, their this worldly affairs or their other worldly affairs, except for Allah Ta'ala will give that thing to that person. He says that in, in Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said emphatically, he emphasized, although it's already known from the from the siyaq and sabaq of the uh, of his of his kalam from the you know, from what's said explicitly and implicitly from what's been stated so far. But he then emphasizes again that that happens every single night. That happens every single night. And so Alhamdulillah, mashallah, this is a a blessing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave uh, to us and gave to this ummah. Many of us, uh, again, I'm the first one to file the plea bargain. We sleep through it too much. But... Uh, that does exist. That time does exist. You don't have to wait for Ramadan or for Laylatul Qadr or whatever, or for them to like have like a special youth qiyam in the masjid or whatever to cash in on it. It's there. It's there for everybody. And the beautiful thing is, even though it's in the uh, f- uh, chapter of the Fadl of Qiyam al Layl, the virtue of standing in prayer in the night, the hadith doesn't actually explicitly mention prayer. Prayer is from amongst the states that a person makes dua to Allah and calls upon Allah. It's the most sanctified and most powerful of states. However, sometimes our sisters, mashallah, for example, there there are days in the month that they're not able to pray. Or after delivering a child for some time, the postnatal bleeding, they're not able, able to pray. There are times that the brothers are you know, like either not able to pray or not even willing to get up. Even if you're in your bed, even if you're in the state of Janaba, the fuqaha mentioned that there's no, there's nothing wrong with making dua. There's nothing wrong with asking for something. And the nice thing is what? Is that, uh, is that to make dua 
doesn't require that you be, again, in tahara. It doesn't require that you be standing. You can be anywhere. But what it requires is the heart. It has to be physically present. Because when nobody else is there, uh, it's an act of sincerity to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when people, everybody is remembering whatever person they love or whatever thing that they love at that time. And so you have to remember Allah ta'ala at the bare minimum. Uh, but if you if you're laying in bed, you can still ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for all of these things, and that 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 measure of time is there every night as well. And sometimes we ask for silly things, and then we get them, and then you say, "Oh, I should have, <laughs> I should have asked for Jannah." And inshallah, maybe all of us, you know, at some point we asked for Jannah, and it was at that time. We won't know until the other side, right? That's also a mercy as well. Uh, um, and if not, Allah Ta'ala give us that, that moment But you can look for it You can look for it in every night And there's a lot of stuff that, that, that needs to be asked for Like, you know, the ummah, the affairs of the ummah By some standards seem to be like uh, You know, at least part of it seems to be like In a pretty big mess right now So we need people to look for that time And ask for those things as well But it's something that you don't even have to theoretically be in Salat But why it's appropriate to mention in the Fadl of Qiyamul Layl is that the, the, the highest state that the believer is in is in the Salat. That's like an angelic state. That It's a state that mimics the angelic state. That because why you're in Tahara, you're in, in ritual purity, you're in, 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 in Qunut, you're completely standing in obedience. Uh, and so a person, the amount of Nur and Fadl and Barakah that the heart is open to receiving it's the maximum. It's just like if a person is filling a uh, bottle with a small neck versus filling a bucket, you can fill the bucket a lot quicker. That the, the, the receptacle is open for those good things at that, at that time for the person who's aiming their, their antenna toward a good signal uh, at that time, that that's the way to maximize it. But it's not by any means the only way a person can do that. If somebody were to like fill their, you know, like, you know, want to fill their container with, you know, with, with something, you know, if there was like gold over here, you know, you just take the small pieces and put it in. Nobody will go home poor, trust me. Uh, even if you cannot pick the big bricks up, even the small shards of it, if you can fill a small bottle up with it, you'll still go home rich, alhamdulillah. By Allah's fadl. وعن سيدنا أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا قام أحدكم من الليل فليفتتح الصلاة بركعتين خفيفتين Sayyidina Abu Hurairah said that the Prophet said that when one of you stands uh, in the night for prayer, then let them open that uh, session of prayer with two light uh, uh, raka'as. And it's narrated by Muslim. Um, this is something my uh, dear friend and uh, uh, Shaykh uh, Mu'ana Tamim, he mentioned a very good example for this. He said that the likeness of this and the likeness of, for example, praying sunnahs before your fard prayer, it's like the mind is like whizzing around with a bunch of different stuff. And uh, um, just like, you know, imagine it's like the ceiling fan that some of us have on now that the weather's a little warmer, right? That when you shut the ceiling fan off, like it still spins for a little bit, right? So it's just a way of letting it, letting it, letting it calm down. Uh, 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 I shouldn't say just away. There are other uh, benefits as well, but even even uh, even Alan, right? He mentions here uh, uh, 
من فطورها فتتوجه بكمال نشاط نشاط للصلاة الليل that uh, it, the point of it is to get rid of whatever is left in the body uh, from sleep and to uh, bind the uh, nerves and to strengthen the um, strengthen the limbs uh, uh, from uh, from their the the break that they come came from and to uh, orient yourself uh, with complete uh, with your with your complete enthusiasm to the night prayer وعن سيدة عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا قام من قام من الليل افتتح صلاته بركعتين خفيفتين. Again, a hadith in a, in, in a similar meaning that the first one was a talqeen of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, a, a uh, instruction to the ummah, and the second is that he himself used to do the same thing. That Sayyidah Aisha رضي الله تعالى عنها narrates that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم, when he stood in the night for prayer, he began his uh, session of prayer with two uh, comparatively light uh, rak'ahs. وعنها رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا فاتت الصلاة من الليل من وجع أو غيره صلى من النهار ثنتي عشرة ركعة رواه مسلم سيد عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها she also narrates that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم if for the reason of some sort of pain or sickness or injury that he had he was unable to wake up in the night in order to pray um, then he he would essentially make up those 12 rak'ahs that was his noble habit sallallahu alaihi wasallam to pray at night he would make them up during the day which is again a concession to the fact that people sometimes will need more sleep if you're injured or if you're uh, if there's some other issue that's there that uh, that this is the way to this is the way to counter counterbalance missing it uh, completely and it's important to to mention, by the way, that you know these hadith, these last two hadiths are narrated by who? By Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, who, obviously, being the one that the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam, from amongst the azwaj mutahharat, he she, he spent the most time with her compar- comparatively. That it's narrated, say that. Uh, Soda bint Zam'a gave her a turn to say the Aisha radiallahu anha when she became older um, and uh, uh, she, so she comparatively spent the most time and she had uh, a very long life after the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that when she when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away she was comparatively young and mashallah if you uh, wish to uh, uh, imbibe the world view of Facebook and Twitter and like whatever, then the entire thing about Sayyidah Aisha is, oh look, she was so young when the Prophet ﷺ married her. And from our point of view, you see the books are of ilm are filled with her narrations. And it's known that even Sayyidina Umar anhu, uh, would not uh, protest when she gave opinion during his caliphate against his opinion. And that if she wanted to say anything about him وسلم, that she wanted to, she would have and she did. She literally did. Uh, many of her fatawa that she gave were in stark contrast to other companions and some of them, even the ladies, it was awkward for them. She was an usul, she was a mujtahid, she was in her fiqh, she was not an athari, right? The ladies came to the Prophet, the, the Sayyidah Aisha complaining that Omar is not allowing us to come to the masjid. With the hadith in hand, armed with the hadith that, that the Prophet said, don't forbid the women from coming to the masjid. 
And what did Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha say? She said, if he knew, if the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa saw how you, you come to the masjid, he would have banned you as well. Which is what? It's not athari. It's not, you know, they brought a hadith as dalil. What is she? She's, she's telling them, you haven't understood the, the, the hadith properly. And, uh, you know, so she was not a person, if you read, you know, she's not a person who held her opinion back. But every time she mentions him and speaks about him, she speaks about him with love. As if he was a blessing in her life, not uh, anything else. And for us also, their love was also a blessing for us as well. Because if it wasn't for their love, then, you know, how would we know any of these things? Uh, you know, Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu was not the one who spent the last third of the night with the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he was in his home. Uh, it, despite the the, the 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 magnificent and grand maqam Allah Taala gave him uh, above the entire uh, ummah of the Prophet sallallahu but this is something that mashallah we you know we we are we are in debt to. So think of that whenever Shaitan says something stupid in your head and in my head because you know we're affected by people and things around us. That this is this is what the reality is. وعن سيدنا عمر رضي الله تعالى عنه ابن الخطاب رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من نام عن حزبه أو عن شيء منه فقرأه فيما بين صلاة الفجر وصلاة الظهر كتب له كأنما قرأه من الليل رواه مسلم Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab رضي الله تعالى عنه he narrates that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said whoever uh, uh, um, sleeps through their hizb or some part of their hizb and then they read it later uh, uh, after they wake up for fajr uh, between some any time between fajr and between dhuhr uh, it will be written for them as if they read it in the night what is the, what is the hizb right hizb here is like a synonym for what we what we also refer to as like a weird abdullah do you have a weird do you keep it? Don't answer that question in front of anybody, right? But this is a question we all should ask ourselves, right? And this is another thing you can't talk about for whatever reason. You can go to Jummah for seven lifetimes in America, but you'll never hear the word Hezbo weird like mentioned in this context. And if you do, ah, that's you're talking like a Sufi. Here's the Sufi said, Omar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he's not, it's not his words. Who's he narrating from? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam which is what? what is the hizb? what is the weird that a person has? what is the hizb that a person has? it's obviously everybody has to pray five times a day so it's not the fara'id but it's some amount of ibadat that are masnoon that a person does as a personal practice that they hold to and they do it regularly so Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying that if your hizb from the night whether it's recitation, whether it's dhikr, whether it's the salat from the context of Imam Nawi putting it in the bab, you know, the, you know that, that should be prime amongst those possibilities, but it's not the only one. That whoever sleeps through their hizb for whatever reason, because they didn't set their alarm before they woke up in Turkey with the like, mashallah, super loud adhan, which is Allah give us all the sa'adat of like, you know, being there. We can do it here in America as well, mashallah. In Turkey at some point or another, they used to actually kill people for giving the adhan in the Republican era. America never had that. 
that 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 era. Someone says, "Well, the city of Wooddale doesn't give me permission." Okay, well, who told you? Who put a gun to your head and said that, like, you know, you and your forty best friends all have to live in Wooddale or whatever, right? Go win an election or build a city somewhere else. You can do it if you really want to. You can do it, but since all of us want to live comfortable distance away from somebody else, so that we can be good Muslim on on Fridays and or like on at masjid events and wear our nice shukr clothing that or whatever online uh, Muslim uh, swag and then you know be a different person on Monday or what okay fine maybe, maybe it's hard then but like you you can do that you can because like, context is what like no one's going to sleep through Fajr right that's just that just doesn't happen right we have to remedially get to that point as well but that's a different that's a longer uh, discussion it's a different module of the of the project inshallah uh, the the point here is that the person who sleeps through it for whatever reason, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, even if it's a wrong reason, if you, even if you're like, I'm really sleepy, right? Qazi Saab was mentioning that some student of knowledge came from Kohat all the way to Qura Khatak to study, uh, and uh, uh, he came really, really late, and then, and then, and then the person who woke, wakes people up for Fajr, who's the most hated person in every madrasa, he, and admittedly one of the most pious people in every madrasa and simultaneously hated because viscerally you associate even if you heard the person's voice during the day you associate their voice with the pain of having to wake up for fajr right so like you involuntarily you just hate the person even though you know inside your head that that person is a good good person you know so he said that the 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 sheikh who was assigned to wake the students up for fajr is waking this guy up who just arrived late in the night from kohat and involuntarily when, when waking him up for Fajr, the guy just like burst out. He says, look, he goes, there are 2,000 masjids between here and Kohat. I could have prayed Fajr in any of them. I just came here to learn Dars. <laughs> Don't waste my time as Fajr. Words he probably inevitably, not only himself personally regretted when he woke up, the Mashaykh probably made sure he regretted when he woke up uh, uh, through a process of love and tarbiyah that might be classified as abuse nowadays uh, in America. But at any rate, uh, uh, love and tarbiyah nonetheless. The the idea is whatever. If you have one of those moments, it happens to every single one of us. If it doesn't happen to you, make dua for me. You're a good person, better person than me. It happens to every one of us, at some point or another. It happens to every one of us. And the best of us are the ones who are like quickly able to restrain it and able to hide the fact that it happens from other people relatively well. Otherwise, weird things happen inside the heart. It's kind of it's kind of up and down inside. Whatever it is, you slept through your hisb. For whatever reason, good, bad, or ugly. Sayyidina Umar who said that the Messenger of Allah said, if when you do finally get your wits about and your 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 aql together and like wake up, at least pray it after after your fajr uh, and be, between your fajr and between between the crack of dawn and and between uh, the time of Zuhr. If you can do even that much, Allah Ta'ala uh, uh, writes it uh, uh, as if you prayed it in its correct time. But the issue is this, is that for in, order, in order for that deal to be valid, you have to have at some point or another intended to regularly do it at night, otherwise it's not your hizb. The second question that we have to ask ourselves in order to uh, engage with the hadith properly is like, do we have a hizb that we can say I slept through it or I didn't? Uh, that we can say, okay, I slept through it, now I'm going to do it in the daytime. What is your hizb? And my Ustadji Mulan Hassan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give him long life after the death of several of the elders from our Mashaykh. Now he's our elder because he's an elder now. He's the, the ones older than him have passed now, so he's there. So, uh, mashallah, I hear him so many times in Bayan. 
right? Your 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 tasbis of 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 zikr that they said that even like an illiterate tablighi should be doing, mashallah. Forget about that. The discount is that you should do this much, like you know, in the day. Ustadji says if you can't do if you can't do a hundred of this and a hundred of that, then do ten of this and ten of that. And then he finally says what? He said that that if you can't even do that, he says do every one of the dhikrs one time. Say your subhanallah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, allahu akbar, wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah once. If you can't say it after fajr, say it any time in the 24-hour window. Condense all of the adhkar of the different times at one time and just say them. Your durud shrif, say it one time. Your salat and salam on the Prophet wasallam say it one time. Your istighfar, say it one time in the day. Literally wouldn't take you much more than 10 seconds to do the whole thing. He says, he says that when people tell me that I forget and I, can't, I, I don't remember to do that, he says, I don't know what to tell you anymore. This is not just like Ustadji, like, like one particular sheikh, his take on Islam. This is the tradition of our mashayikh, our elders, the ones who, the people in the Bilad and the Sharq and Gharb, they entered Islam at their hands. The government is not going to want to forfeit like jizya revenue, right? Our mashayikh, what did they say? My own Shaykh Mulan Abdul Halim Chishti, rahimahullah ta'ala, his, his, his nephew came to visit at Dar al-Qasim once, the son of his brother. He said, my father, Mulana Abdul Halim, uh, was a graduate of Nadwa in the old days. He said, I didn't want to go to Darshan Zami. I went and like got a degree in literature. He's a, he was a professor of literature. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on him. He, he even passed away. We had such a good time. Me and Mulana Bilal Sheikh Amin sat with him. And he mentioned that, he said that I, my father made sure I read at least through the Mishkatul Masabih. One day I had to go do some work at the university uh, at registrar that was only possible to do at the time of our Darsh. So I said, Abaji, I'm going to... Uh, do this thing, I can't take dars today. So he says, uh, Abaji said, why don't you sit, sit for 10 minutes? He's like, no, no, no I got to go. He said, why don't you, why don't you uh, uh, just, you know, sit for five minutes? He says, no, I got to go. Like the, this thing has been stuck for a long time. You know, bureaucracy is bad enough over here. It's even worse in, in, in our countries that uh, some of us may be from uh, or some of us may be from soon. Um, the... He says, he says, why don't you just read one hadith? He says, no, I just got to go. And he said that he like tilted his like spectacles down and looked at me straight through the top of the spectacles. He says, why don't you just read one letter? Then he, he said, I realize he's not joking. He's not playing around right now. Why? Because when you miss that, the one letter, then that means that it's, it's not the registrar that you're, that's, that's the reason you're going. Something else is happening here, you know? So we should also remember the, you know, have our hizb. If your hizb is to read Qul Huwallahu Ahad three times, you know, before the crack of dawn or whatever, some point in the night. And if you sleep through it, then read it during the daytime. Then at least you'll be like, if our names are in the, like the bottom of the list of the people who are associated with this hadith, it's better that you're on the list as well. Uh, at least that it's better, at least that you're on the list rather than being uh, absent from it. Because uh, uh, a day will come when people will regret, will regret uh, very sorely uh, not being uh, on the list. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us tawfiq. Wa sallallahu tabaraku wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. So uh, a couple of things.